0: We're looking this morning at the subject, the hurt of an undisciplined life. If you look at your bulletin outline, the first point is, we want to define discipline. You know, from our viewpoint, discipline is negative. It's something unpleasant. It's distasteful. It's to be avoided at all costs. But from God's viewpoint, discipline is positive it's profitable, it's remedial, and it's to be sought after at all costs. Now the reason we have such a negative view of discipline is because we equate it only with punishment for bad behavior. And yes, the Bible has a lot to say, especially in the writings of Solomon about the discipline of unruly children. We're going to look at some of those. We learned, did we not, two weeks ago that David's family was a mess. His son Amnon raped Absalom's sister Tamar and David did nothing about it. And that started mm, the animosity of Absalom against David his father. Dad, you didn't do anything about this. So I guess I'll have to and he started plotting, and you know the story. Absalom rebelled against David and tried to usurp his throne. He fornicated with David's concubines on the palace roof before all of Israel. And again, nothing was done. Adonijah, another son of David, tried to overthrow David in his old age and ruined David's plan to crown Solomon. And so Solomon, when writing his Proverbs included in this wisdom literature a broad spectrum of instruction on how to discipline children. Now he did this because David his father was a failure as a disciplinarian and in a large part was contributory to the rotten way his sons turned out. Of Adonijah the writer of 1st Kings says, his father, that would be David, his father had never interfered with him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? 1 Kings 1 verse 6. In other words, David could not even bring himself to question the bad behavior of his sons, let alone do something positive about it. So we are beholden to Uh, God's wisdom through Solomon to speak to the subject of disciplining children. and we can't, I think, I don't think we can ignore the connection. Solomon saw all this going on in his family, David's family. And so when he, under inspiration of the scripture, writes the Proverbs, he brings to mind, God brings to mind all of the failures of David. And Solomon says this, is, this has not been wise. But here is wisdom. Here is the wisdom from God. Let's look at some of these texts. Solomon writes, here's the, I think here is the key text. It's Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful. To discipline him. That's key. I've had a number of conversations with social workers trained in the psychology of secular humanism like that of Dr. Benjamin Spock in my day who was the psychologist who wrote books on babies and how to rear children and all of those things. uh, Reared a whole generation of brats Dr. Spock's books, he was against corporal punishment and these social workers see no value in corporal punishment and they espouse the very opposite of what God says here, namely that it's a sign of lack of love that would cause a parent to spank his or her child. I remind you that all scripture is God breathed and so Solomon's counsel is not just so much good advice but it's in fact the word of God on parenting that produces godly outcomes. I wondered about this with regard to Michigan, so I decided to go online and look up on Michigan's uh, government site to find the law, if there were such a law, with regard to corporal punishment, spanking, and, and the like. And guess what? There it is in the criminal code. I'll give you the number, 750.136B. And here's what it says. A parent, a guardian, or other person permitted by law can reasonably discipline a child, including the use of reasonable force. End quote. I'm glad that's on the books. But I have to ask this question. What would we do if spanking were banned by the state? That's the issue. Not whether government approves what the Bible says, but whether or not we're going to obey the Bible when the government does not approve it. Here's what the apostles did Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than man, Acts 5, verse 29. And there, the issue was the authorities were prohibiting the preaching of Christ to the Jewish population. They didn't want that done. And the apostle says, we're not going to obey you. We're going to have civil disobedience here. We're going to refuse. And it cost them a severe flogging. They were all flogged before they were released. You didn't want to go under a Roman flog for something minor. But the apostles thought this important enough to say, no, we are not going to comply. Again, Solomon writes, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Now, folly here does not mean silly. We do not spank our kids for being silly except if they had been told to desist and refuse to do it, then they're spanked for disobedience. Folly, when found in the Bible, biblically, means defiance of God, which would indicate defiance of parental authority, which God has placed over children for their good. So that kind of folly is there. It's just part of human nature. All of us have it. And he's saying that the rod of discipline will drive it away. Again, writes Solomon, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Proverbs 23, 23. Do you know what that verse is saying? It's saying this. The rod is tempered. That is to say, there's restraint. This whole idea that we hear from society, oh, beating is child abuse. Solomon addresses that issue here. He's saying, the use of the rod is not going to kill him. Why is it not going to kill him? Because you're exhibiting restraint. The parent is not beating the child to death. And yes, if beatings of that severity are criminal offenses, not only in Michigan, but I would say again, in the law of God as well. And that's not what we're talking about here. So you have to be discerning. With regard to all of this. Again. Solomon writes. Discipline your son. For in that there is hope. I wonder if he was thinking of David there. Discipline your son. And in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party. This next phrase is vital. To his death. Proverbs 19. Verse 18. Brethren, I think it would be a bitter pill to swallow indeed for any parent to hear from God that his or her uh, lack of discipline in their children was the contributing factor to their child's spiritual death. But that is precisely what Solomon is saying. See, how can he be so sure? Well, let me read. The whole verse. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. We might ask the question, How does a paddle on the gluteus maximus save a soul from death? Well, he answers, Folly's bound up in the heart of that child. Rebellion to God is bound up into the heart of that child. But The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Now some will say, you know, Pastor, I have spanked my child time and again to no avail. He or she is still obstinate, still defiant, still disrespectful of my authority. Well, the answer to that is this, that the rod is only an intention getter. Did you know that? That's all it's for. Little Junior is booking through the parking lot at Walmart, heading for the driveway. Cars are moving in and out of the parking spots. You call to him, stop, but he keeps going. You raise your voice and shout, but he speeds up. What's happening? Is he deaf? Is that the problem? Does he not understand the directive, stop? or wait. No, none of those things. His problem of ignoring you is an assertion of His will over your, yours. He doesn't want to stop running. He likes to run. He likes cars. If you do more than raise your voice, the volume of your voice, Junior will simply run faster, And get away from you. He needs to be physically stopped in his tracks, swatted on his bottom. And you got to watch that in today's parking lots. For disobedience to your authority. The discomfort of a swat will not kill him, but it will get his attention to what you have to say. Namely, it says, mom and dad mean business. When we say stop, we do not mean when you feel like it. We mean right now, right here, right at this moment. Solomon never visualized the application of the rod as the primary teaching tool. It's simply the attention getter. It is designed to say, you are not listening to me, but you will listen to me. Or suffer the consequences. The real teaching tool is what is to accompany every use of the rod. And that is reproof or verbal correction. Let me read it for you. It's in Proverbs 29 verse 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, verse 15. Shame on you, Solomon is saying, if your children are unruly. Falls on your shoulders. What's rebuke? Well, it's a verbal correction. When I tell you to stop running in the parking lot... There's a good reason for it. These cars can't see you. And they're going to run over you. And it's very disobedient for you to ignore me when I say stop. And furthermore, God is very angry with you for disobeying me. Something like that. In your own words, of course. And then you pray. And you pray something like this. Lord... Help Junior to know that I love him. And because I do, I cannot let him disobey without punishment. Teach him that to obey is better than a spanking. To obey is better than sacrifice. The use of the rod must be consistently tied to biblical reproof. By consistent rod, I mean every defiance of your parental authority, even if it's ten times a day. say, well, I'll be swatting them all the time. Well, yeah, if you start the program, it's going to take you about three weeks. If you've never done it before, it's going to take you about three weeks. And after that, guess what? Solomon talks about the wise child who can respond to reproof. No rod anymore. Oh, I just speak. And it's correct. By consistent rebuke, I mean instruction that's tied to God's word. Parents, you are out to reach the soul to foster conviction, to bring about repentance. and that can be done in the very young. It better be done in the very young, because the day is coming when your teenage boy is going to be six foot four, and if he hasn't learned respect, and obedience to mom and dad. Then he's going to be a detriment in your home when he doesn't get his will. Oh, and one final thought here before I move on, parents: you need to avoid multiple warnings that carry no follow through. Uh, Junior, what did did you hear what I said? Uh, uh what did I say? What did I just tell you? On and on we go. Parents who do this are delaying the necessary discipline. They're hoping to talk the child into compliance. But instead the child is learning that he or she does not have to obey until you reach a certain level of anger, which they will generally detect in your voice, Or in the look of your eye or whatever. Children are very expert at detecting when you mean business and when you don't. You need to avoid the hypocrisy. Be genuinely in love with your kids. And love their soul enough to deal with the sin of their hearts which will damn them if they do not repent. And you know what? You can keep your calm when you discipline like this. We're not talking about rage or any of that business. We're talking about calm, directive consistency to bring about discipline in the life because they got a will. We all have a will. And their little will they not want to obey just like our will doesn't want to obey when it comes to the directives from God. Now then secondly, that's children, but discipline is essential for adult life. Do you know, if you have bratty kids and you don't deal with that, you're going to end up with bratty adults. Discipline is not just for children. It is also for adults. It is how we learn to get things done which are essential and not always putting off things. A procrastinator has a problem with discipline. A hothead has a problem with discipline. An adult who cannot stay on task has a problem with discipline. A person who cannot hold down a job has a problem with discipline. A person who is always instructing but seldom learning has a problem with discipline. I'm I'm talking about adults here. And the reason all of this is so is that discipline requires us to do things that are unpleasant. Things that aren't fun. Things that are laborious and demanding and frustrating and yes, hard. I mean, who wouldn't prefer to live in a state of perpetual play? It's a joke about us guys, our boys and their toys. We've got to have all the latest, you know. But there are adults like this. They are adults who never grew up. Life to them is one continuous party. They choose to let many things slide so that they can enjoy the things they want to do. They, don't, they let go of the things they should do. that means the dishes are stacked three feet high on the counter, so be it. If it means that the toilet and the main bathroom is broken, so what? We have another toilet and another bathroom. If the car shakes over the road because the wheel bearings are all shot, well, we can take public transit or hitch a ride with a the neighbor. You know, there, there's people like this. They just can't or won't discipline themselves enough to follow through on what needs to be done. And then there are some adults who just, I say it this way, they don't have an orderly bone in their body. Because discipline has to do with order. They kind of short circuit. They do not know where to start. And so guess what? They don't start. (laughs) Everything's coming at them all at once. Nothing gets done because there's no plan, there's no allotted time, there's no schedule, there's no supplied resource, there's no disciplined life. You can't wash the car if you don't have a hose. And if you have a hose, it can't be left out all winter with water in it to freeze and crack. And if you have a working hose without soap and a sponge and a bucket... You still won't get the car clean. You see, discipline applies not only to the goal, but all those means or things necessary to reach the goal. But I would say this, that discipline can be taught if the student is willing to learn. Again, Solomon speaks and he says, whoever loves discipline discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. I didn't say it. (laughs) Solomon said it, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Note the connection between loving discipline and loving knowledge. That's because a disciplined life is one in which the knowledge of God's word means so much to the individual that he or she wants to please God by learning and obeying. The undisciplined person chafes at correction. No one's going to tell me what to do, and he's gone. Or they stop their ears. They're smarter than all their teachers, their employers, their friends, their enemies, their family, and the sooner you learn this, that we're smarter, the better you will get along with me. They get along by forcing their will on others and refusing to adopt a discipline and structure for living. Again, Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So getting knowledge is part of the discipline. And then where, where do we go for this knowledge? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 1, verse 7 and 8. Once again, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Is the father, the son, in whom he delights. Blesses the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Proverbs 3 verse 11 through 16. Just think about that. The people that are successful in our culture are people who have learned the principle of a disciplined life. They have a 9 to 5 job. Okay. They have to be in the work at 9. They don't get up at 9.30 and show up at 10. And if they have to get up earlier, they go to bed earlier. You see what I'm saying? They're structuring their life to get done what needs to be done. That's a disciplined life. Now that brings us to the allegory that's in this text, Proverbs 9, the allegory of two women. And the first one is the woman called wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 1 through 12. What are her characteristics? Well, number one... She is a house builder, and her house is built on solid rock. Verse 1 says, ewn out seven pillars. If you're talking about uning out, you're talking about rocks here. She's prepared, which means she has thought things through. She has her menu ready, verse 2, meat and wine, and she has her table set ready to receive her guests. What guess? Verse 3. She sends her maidservants out with the invitation. Let all who are simple come in here. To all who lack judgment, come eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. What is Solomon saying? He's saying that a disciplined life, brethren, begins with preparation. It isn't just going to happen because you wish it so. Certain things have to be set in place, nourishing things that will instruct and teach and change the way you think and the way you do things. The simplistic thinking has to go. I mean, structure does mean some degree of complexity. That's why the hobo or the homeless sometimes like the way they live. They do a hobo count or a homeless count in Lapeer every winter. It might surprise you to know that often that number exceeds over 200 people in our little community. Why? Well, sometimes it's hard circumstances, yeah. But lots of times they like to live this way and they live from hand to mouth just taking life as it comes, whether it's good or bad, because there's no effort involved. Just go with the flow. Carefree. No structure. No discipline. Wisdom's building a house, and she's building it on rock. Secondly, Wisdom calls for repentance and change. Look at verse 6. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Wisdom, however, is not naive. She knows that to try to correct, that is to bring discipline to a mocker, will result in insults and abuse, verse 7, even hatred, verse 8. Only if below that simpleton veneer there really is a wise man or woman will there be true love for you as the one calling for repentance and change. That is because, verse 9, the wise man or woman sees your instruction as an occasion to become, Solomon says, wiser still, or to add to his learning. So if you're saying, come simpleton... Learn from me. I've got some things to teach you. They say, "Yeah, well, bring it on," because their wise person is eager to learn more. Well, let me illustrate by backtracking a bit to those instructions on child rearing that we heard from Solomon about the consistent use of the rod mixed with reproof and prayer and correction. Goodly number of Christian parents listen to these things and they conclude. Oh, this is too hard. I'm not going to do that. Isn't there an easier way? Isn't there something more simple I can do? What about a pill? What about time out versus the use of the rod? There's a defect in timeout. There is a defect in depriving your child of a privilege. No baseball for you, Saturday. This is Thursday. And so, all that time from Thursday to Saturday, from the time of the infraction and the discipline till Saturday baseball, what? There is a breach of relationship between parent and child. You all know this, communication is strained, animosity stirs, tempers never cool down. There's the silent treatment in the home, resentment builds, and then Saturday arrives. The hatred can be felt in the air. It's been boiling for three days. But, brethren, a spanking with reproof and prayer immediately clears the air. There's repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation, not the torture of days and hours of angry faces and hostile words. Man's substitutes are not better than God's instruction. God is saying through Solomon in this text, stop being a simpleton. Enough with the human psychology and the drug therapy. You want your kid to turn out to be God fearing and obedient and in love with God? Then repent of your know it all resistance to the truth. Add to your learning. Act upon the call to repentance or correction without mockery, without insult. And you will be amazed at what God will do. How he'll bring harmony and peace into your home. Third characteristic of wisdom. True wisdom begins and ends with God. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we're looking for here. Disciplined life is a knowledgeable life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The biggest hurdle we face to obtaining a disciplined life is the tendency we all have, and that is to go to God as the last resort for know how and understanding. We will go to friends for advice. We will go to the Christian bookstore for a how to book on our problem. We will Google our question on the internet. And when all of these other resources are exhausted or proved to be less than stellar in their help, then, and only then, we may turn to God. And we are saying in all this, along with the world, God is for desperate people. Until we become desperate, we find it more to our liking to consult with other means of instruction and help. I mentioned earlier the kitchen with the dishes piled three feet high. We look at that and we think, I can solve that. I can solve that. (laughs) I will have a dishwashing day. I will get up early, and that pile of dishes will be my first project. Up at 7, kids are off to school at 8, back home to do the dishes. But then, then the phone rings. One of the kids you just dropped off at school is sick, and the principal wants you to come back and fetch them. On the way back, you notice that the gas gauge is reading empty, so you have to stop and fill that up. The sick child is going to need fever-reducing medicine, so you need to stop for that. The day began with good intentions, but life just came at you with both barrels and the dishes had to take second place or third place or fourth place in the priorities and they somehow never get done. Does God have anything to say about domestic duties? Paul writing to Titus says, likewise teach the older women. (coughs) You Titus, teach the older women. Ooh, think about this. (laughs) Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, not to be addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Can love be trained? Can you train a person to love? Obviously. They can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled and pure, to be busy at home. As opposed to being a busybody outside the home, which is condemned 1 Timothy five thirteen, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God Titus two verse three through five. Domestic skills can be learned. The best place to learn them is from a godly woman or mother who has successfully learned herself how to keep house. I was talking to my wife about this a number of times and Donna confesses that she learned how to do wash and clean house and care for babies from my mother and my grandmother who lived right next door, also from her mother, but my folks happened to live next door so they would come over and show her how to clean or how to do the wash and so forth. My mother wasn't such a great teacher on that, although she taught us how to do the wash and she forgot to tell me what to do with bleach. So all I am, I'm off at Moody. I have to do my own white shirts. So I throw the white shirts into the washing machine at the laundromat, and I poured the bleach on them. And then I watched my shirts dissolve before (laughs) my very eyes. (laughs) But at least I had the connection. Bleach has something to do with getting the grime off the collar. (laughs) Ding-a-ling-a-ling, Mom. I'm calling from Chicago. Oh, well, you don't pour the bleach right on the shirt. You have to mix it with water and, you know, put it in at the right time and all of that. Wisdom is discipline. And it begins with God and His Word. And let me tell you, God has something to say about discipline in every aspect of your life. You know what the outcome? It's promise. Look at verse 12. If you're wise, then your wisdom will reward you. Verse 11 gives the reward, long life. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now that brings us to this second woman. And her name is not wisdom. Her name is folly. And she also has characteristics. What is her characteristics? Verse 13, she's loud and undisciplined. She likes to teach, but she doesn't like to learn. Her loudness is part of her arrogance. She drowns out all opposing counsel and advice. She thinks she's wise, but she's really without knowledge. She has a lot of bravado, (laughs) yes, but few feminine skills. By the way, I hate that new Stanley Steamer ad. This guy is dressed up in women's clothing. 1-800-STANLEY-STEAMER! I'm never going to hire them again. We've had them come in and do our carpet. That's folly. That's Miss folly Loud, boisterous, no substance. Secondly, she's idle. No hard work for this girl. Wisdom sent her maids out as ambassadors who called out in her name from the high point of the city. Verse 3. But what is folly doing at the high point of the city? Verse 14. She sits at the door of her house on a seat, calling out to all who pass by. She makes no effort, in other words, to go to people in need. She expects them to come to her. And because she is undisciplined, she is like a fisherman with, a, with no purpose, just sitting along the shore, dangling his hook in the water, hoping to snag a fish that might happen by. But there's no real intent to catch anything. Fine if she does, also fine if she doesn't. Aimless and idle, she takes life as it comes with no intention of interfering with the status quo as folly. Thirdly, what's her message? Her message is this. No repentance and change needed here. You don't have to change to come to my house. Let all who are simple come in here, she says, to those who lack judgment. And what's her message? Stolen water sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Verse 17 and 18. You see, Miss Folly advocates a life of luxury, self-indulgence as opposed to self-discipline, a life of sin, stolen water, secret food, which with the implied reasoning, you know, you don't have to work so hard to get results. You certainly don't have to heed God's word. You can just sit at your doorstep and people just like you will seek you out. You know, the neighbors aren't so bad. You will actually come to love the idle and the undisciplined lifestyle. And it's a whole lot easier than all that study and search for wisdom over there at Miss Wisdom's house. Folly thinks that this is progressive thinking. She smiles ahead of wisdom because wisdom is working hard to build a homestead but folly just accepts come what may. She's unconcerned about outcomes but she has outcomes and she ought to be concerned. Look at verse 18. Little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of the grave. Well, Solomon gives the summation of these two women in Proverbs 14 in verse 1, and here's what he says. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. You ever know anybody like that? Folly's undisciplined life brings loads of pain to her and to any of her guests. And this is because it is as we have learned today. God's wisdom is not helder-skelder. It is not do your own thing and hope for the best. It is not give God a try after everything else has failed. No, wisdom begins and ends with God. And if you pride yourself as being wiser than God, I know better then you will dig your own grave along with Miss Folly. She ruins homes. She ruins lives. She doesn't build them up. And so I say to you this morning, hear wisdom's call to repent and do it. Hear wisdom's exhortation to seek the knowledge of the Holy One. And then when you obtain it, obey it. Not as a last resort, but first on your list. Lay aside the fallacious notion that you can obtain something from nothing. That God will bless you just for being, without doing. That your kids will turn out fine without concerted discipline on your part. No, they won't! That you can have the reward of being loved and blessed by God while you mock His righteousness and turn away from His wisdom. No. You won't. The Lord disciplines those he loves and he'll correct you and he'll bring trouble in your life to teach you how you should have discipline for your family and for yourself. May the Lord grant that to us. You know the um, the real problem of when I was unsaved was my rebellion. Rebellion to parents, Rebellion to God That was me And my life was miserable As a result So it is with everyone Undisciplined Godless Profane Disobedient Defiant Life Don't be a simpleton Be wise Lord bless and honor your word this morning Stir us to the truths of your word. Thank you for our graduates this morning that we acknowledge today with a Bible, a study Bible. Lord, may they delve into that. May they seek for your wisdom. May that become the pattern of their life in all that they do. And help us adults who have been sitting on their hands with regard to a disciplined life, either for their children or for themselves, to get on board with what wisdom advocates. It has to begin with repentance. Repentance of our simple ways. Putting on wisdom. Grant that to us, Lord. All of us by ourselves have our particular sins, our likes and dislikes, our preferences. But help us to be wise about our sinful natures, that they tend to oscillate towards disobedience and defiance of your word. Lord, we don't want to be defiant. We want to be compliant. And so we're asking that you will send your Holy Spirit upon us to instruct us, yes, but to change us. You have promised to write the laws of God on our hearts so that we don't have to think of them just in the book on the page or in the days of the Old Testament on tablets of stone. No, we need it written on our hearts so that our conscience and our soul can feed on the truth. The world bombards us every day, oh God, with anti-God philosophy and rhetoric. May we be discerning, send your spirit. Make us children of wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.